We are in the woods on the trap line for episode 50 of the Trapping Today podcast. The Trapping Day podcast is brought to you by Cotts Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S.com. Check those guys out, full line of trapping supplies. Kyle and Kellen Cotts, uh, they got a great website, lots of stuff to check out. Uh, DVDs, trapping books, uh, really helpful, really good service. So check them out. Thank you, Cotts Brothers, for supporting the podcast. I am your host, Jeremiah Wood, and with me is my co-host, Cole Porter. How are you doing, Cole? Doing good. And we are in the big woods of northern Maine. We just got done checking my trap line, and this is the first time that I can ever remember that somebody else is driving my truck and I'm sitting in the passenger seat of my own truck. <laughs> so um, how we got here, um, if you remember the previous episode, I talked about not feeling too spectacular and I was uh, gonna try and get a trap line set out as best I could. Well, I did on Sunday, opening day, I, I went out and started setting traps and, and I got, I was thinking I'd, you know, being slow and not feeling great. I'd be about uh, 20, 30 sets maybe, maybe 30 or more. And it was about noontime and the last sets number 16, 17, and 18, I was just just really feeling beat down. My heart was beating a thousand times a minute. and I was out of breath, I was weak, tired, and I had to turn around. So I only got 18 sets in and I was like, I just, no idea, I'd been to the dock on Friday didn't know what was going on so I went back and, and kind of rested the rest of the day went into the doctors this week oh bunch of tests and blood work and all that stuff and they can't figure out what's going on so anyway the the good news is uh, eliminated a lot of possibilities with blood tests everything actually is coming out normal on the blood side and kidney and the liver and all that stuff uh, but there's something else going on. Who knows what it is? Bad news is it's not really getting better. But uh, we'll we'll see what happens anyway. Um, feeling sorry for yourself is probably not what people want to hear on the podcast. So we'll kind of move on from that. But the, the take-home point was uh, I got a good friend here, and one text message and Cole agreed to take a day off of work and, and come up and help me check my trap line. So. Uh, we actually ended up, uh, he met me this morning at my place, picked up my truck, and and we've been in the woods ever since, huh? Yep. We got going early enough, so still pretty early in the day right now. What time is it? Yeah. Three o'clock or so. Oh, it's probably not even quite that. Not even that. Um, anyway, I we we ended up pulling the traps, because I, I thought for a while I was going to get better, not feeling any better, and I don't want to have to burden someone to go try it five days from now and check them again so so we just pulled them uh everyone we checked we pulled so kind of disappointing but we got a little bit of good news huh cole yeah it did pretty good i think uh as far as the catch percentage goes that we did pretty good a whole lot pretty, better pretty than... high actually for what we're dealing with yeah we made uh i made those sets in the same place that i set them last year for the most part same exact locations because I wanted to test the difference between the year and maybe different types of traps and lure and bait stuff 
So I decided to start out where my boxes were from the previous year. And we of the 18, you know, last year I was running 60 sets and I'd get zero, I'd get one Fisher or one Martin to a check. Um, we ran, we, we ran 18 sets and we got two Martin and a weasel. So pretty good. Yep. We actually had uh, we had a few traps fired with nothing in them, which was kind of odd. Don't know if that's the weather that was tripping those 120s off, but um, we had a little bit of that. But uh, all in all, I'm I'm pretty psyched. So the weasel was still brown. We're still a little bit early. Yeah, yeah. Probably another week. He's starting to get some white on the underside, kind of working its way up uh, the side. Um, but the those Martin looked pretty good. Yeah, one one from probably this year, and then one older one. Yeah, I think so. Probably one was pretty small, and one I think a small male, and then uh, another one was a little older. And we caught those in what kind of boxes? Those are both in those big boxes. Huh? Yeah, those are both in the uh, big wooden uh, 160 links exclusion devices. So it was interesting observation I mean it's only two Martin it's hard to tell exactly what was going on but we had last year had uh, all but two animals were caught in the small boxes and the first two we caught this year were in the big boxes of course I, I wrote about that I've talked about it in the podcast why I think they were probably refusing to go in to those big boxes a couple of things that are different this year. The big thing is uh, using a gland lure. Well, I hope. I think that. that I don't know and they might be hungry too. They might <laughs> I, be hungry. Yeah, I think they're hungrier for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just the it's the good year. Every other year is a bad yeah. year. Every other year is a good year. And the other thing is the gland lure that I've been using. I ground up the those glands from Martin Fisher I caught uh, and weasels I caught last year and, and mix that up into a lure. So uh, both both sets that we had those Martin in uh, were were sets I had put that lure in that gland lure inside the box in addition to the long distance call outside the box. So that that's that could be just a coincidence or it could be uh, a pattern that we may start to see more of. But I won't know. No, we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll hope that that the gland lure does end up helping. And, and hopefully if I, I mean, this was kind of bummer, but it's more motivation if I get feeling better. Um, I want to, I'm going to be extremely motivated to get out here and go really hard and uh, make a bunch of sets and a bunch of catches, so especially if the percentages are way better than they were last year. Just got to get some steel out. Um, thoughts about the habitat types that we're seeing animals in? Or? Oh, yeah, it's pretty, uh, a little bit higher on ele in elevation, I think, right? Those Martin were both a little bit higher up. That's one thing that I thought was, you know, interesting, talking about setting in low areas and, or setting up high. And they seem to be not real high up, but not down in the swamp either. And then, uh, yeah, a lot of vertical trees and around all yeah. your sets pretty much and they were kind Maybe of those ones they're right. mixed wood stands but seem to be a little more hardwood yep. in those two spots so uh, 
may, who knows, maybe they were in uh, in the hardwoods. Well, it looks good. We're, we're cutting back some of our old tracks, and no one's been on any of these roads since we came up here this morning, so that's good. The uh, the day that I set, I guess I didn't get a chance to talk much about the day I set. Actually, I was, I was towing coal the last couple of sets, the last one in particular. I don't even have a recollection of setting it. I just, I don't know, my mind was acting funny. I wasn't feeling right, but um, the, there's not much to say about those sets except that before I even started on the trap line, about two miles before my first set location, I saw a fisher cross the road about 150 yards in front of me. So uh, that got me pretty excited, and I, I went and made a set right exactly where he crossed. And five days later, we went back and nothing touched it. So we, we know about those fishers is that they'll often make these big circuits and they won't be back in an area for for several days or several weeks. So uh, if that trap had stayed there, it'd probably just be a matter of time before he'd go back through and, and we'd maybe catch him. <laughs> a lot of refusals with these boxes, so never know. Yeah. Uh, we are, we, we, it was raining when we started down low. We got up in higher elevation and we've been catching sleet. A little bit of snow, a little bit of rain, a little bit of sleet. Uh, but there's a, a thick, kind of, not a thin layer of sleety slush on the roads and, and of course on the ground and at our sets. So we we can't, we could not see any evidence of tracks. It was all covered up by this morning. So it was difficult to tell. We had no idea if something came and refused to go in the box. Now, I talked to another trapper who traps in the same general area. He was out this week and he set about 15 sets and he pulled a couple days three four days after he set so he did, did a short run and he had snow and he had what i tell you three or four fisher refusals three i think so at least think, yeah. three fisher refusals he caught one martin um, but he had the snow to see that the fishers just weren't going in so might be a matter of time it's been hasn't been that cold it was it was cold for a while and now we've been hovering around 30 to 35 degrees this weather pattern in the last three four days so it's probably going to take a little cooler weather to motivate them so anything else about my trap line or observations from today or you want to talk about your stuff he's trying to think you have anything else i want to take a break and listen to utah all right <laughs> yeah so, so so on sunday i uh i got out there and I uh, started setting, oh, probably around 9 in the morning. I got a little bit of a late start, but I uh, had intentions of setting out at least 20 boxes. I only got to 11, so got 11, 11 wire 120 boxes set up, um, put them all on uh, horizontal down logs on the ground, hoping to try to get the animal up onto that log so it would have to look in through the opening to see the bait. I'm hoping that's going to pay off. So I'm using a mink landlord held by the entrance of my boxes and trying that out too to see if that helps. You're using a long distance call lure too, aren't yep. you? And I'm using uh, trapping today's long distance <laughs> call lure. So putting a good glob of that on a tree or a branch above the box so yeah this lure got rained on pretty hard and we 
every set we walked into today, we were kind of evaluating it, trying to be critical and determine how where we could smell it from. Of course, the, the little slight breeze can can affect what you can smell. You know, it probably not as strong as it was five days ago, but I don't know what lure would be after inch or two of rain. And, uh, but I was, I don't know, I'm, I'm pretty excited about how it's holding up to this weather. I mean, it is, it's still quite, it's still very strong. We still smelled it every set we went into. Sometimes we get in close and be like, well, I'm not smelling the lure. And then you walk around in a semicircle until you get downwind and it's like, oh, there it is. It hits you. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. And when I checked mine, I let mine sit, my trap sit for uh, three nights. And I figured I'll go check. And I ended up checking in the rain after dark. And I could still, some of them, I'd hop out of the truck, you know, 30 yards from my set. And I'd be downwind and start to smell the lure, smell the skunk in it. So held up pretty good yeah it was funny when i got home that sunday when i wasn't feeling well i got home and i sat down on the couch and i got a text message from another trapper that i just mentioned earlier and he's his message was did you were you the first one up so-and-so road this morning this is a major logging road and uh, he says about about 28 mile we could smell skunk from the road <laughs> and uh, that was where I'd seen the fisher cross and I'd made the set and the set was oh what's that 60 feet off the road probably probably yeah and uh, they yeah. were driving by and they could smell it they must have been driving by with the windows open so that was kind of cool to hear that <laughs> kind of yeah. chuckled about it yeah so your sets you set 11 and what kind of habitat did you set them in I tried to set in the thickest woods I can the area I'm in has been cut cut really hard in the last oh over the last 10 years everything's been cut hard so like cut hard to the point where I Martin definitely couldn't couldn't survive there and reproduce so most of it's just cut over hard but anywhere where I'd find uh, some thicker woods I'm putting a trap so I'm actually covering quite a few miles for the small amount of traps that I do have out right now trying to find better habitat so it's uh, mixed wood mostly some hardwoods and then some some cedar and some low areas but and uh, how far one two miles apart on the sets oh at least a couple of them I have I have I think one of them I have set as a double maybe four or five hundred yards apart up the road just because it was a good looking spot but a lot of them are at least probably a mile in a straight line or further but I mean some of them might be five six miles I might wow. drive before I so you're driving come to by them. a lot of open young hardwood areas. yeah there's a lot of areas that are you know they're okay and some of these next sets I put out will have to be in those areas so space them in between kind yeah, of put them in between yeah I don't want to go any put any more miles on than I already am but yeah seems like it's hopefully gonna work out all right now three nights 11 sets I in a new area you never trapped before I would I would be not very hopeful that there'd be a lot of catching going on what'd you get no I was I didn't expect anything because it had been raining it's early in the season and I uh, I got checking and probably I probably checked I'm gonna think probably about six sets six or seven empty sets 
Ooh. And it was raining in the in the dark. I was getting pretty uh, pretty frustrated as usual. And just keep seeing them <laughs> empty and walking into them and it's hard battle, to battling the wet brush to get into them. And then I uh, it was actually the trap that was in the hardest, thickest spot to get to. I uh, out of all of them, I walked in there and had a martin. So that was exciting. Your first martin. Yeah, it was. Awesome. So, pretty awesome. exciting. Yeah. So uh, I think it was two traps after that. I had uh, a weasel. So overall, pretty successful for three nights. I thought with that amount of traps out. Absolutely. It's almost after tonight. It'll be three nights again. Oh yeah. I mean, so yeah. if you'd have checked after five, you might have had. Could have even had more. Yeah. Possibly. We'll find out. So what's that? Tell us that feeling when you because I. I still remember my first, the first Martin I caught, and it was a long time ago, but I can just, I remember it just like it was yesterday. I don't remember a lot of things about that first trap line, but I remember the first Martin. Yep. And it was, oh, maybe two mi mile and a half from my house, probably, on this road system, and there was some fresh cuts, and then there was kind of a, a strip along a small brook where there's, there's a, a cedar run of cedar trees and really thick kind of thick cover overhead it was just nice tight spot and I, I went into this dark growth and there was this was back when it was legal to do this <laughs> there was a cedar that was kind of tipped up and the root system was still in the ground but there was an opening underneath and there was a hole just about the size of a martin that a martin could fit through yeah. and I thought man that's a perfect spot so I took a chunk of meat and I tossed it in that hole and I had a 110 conner bear because yeah. I couldn't afford 120s at the time. Yeah. I didn't have any. My my uh, men, trapping mentor lent me some 110s and I stuck that right in front of the entrance of that, op that little cedar root opening thing. And the very next morning I came back and I had a Martin in there and he had, I caught him coming out of that. So yeah. I don't know if that was a Martin Den. Oh, he could have went through around your triggers pretty easy, I bet, though. Probably slipped gone. right under him. Possibly, possibly. I don't remember. I, I remember him being a fairly decent-sized Martin, no. but yeah. who, who knows? Huh, maybe there's another entrance. Another yeah, entrance another hole could be, you just could didn't be, see. Could be anything. Yeah. So, um, but I just still remember walking into that spot and seeing it. It was just the most exciting thing in the world. So... Oh, I won't forget it. It's just like I remember the first thing I ever caught was a muskrat, and I won't, I won't ever forget. You know where exactly where I could walk in 20 years. I bet I could walk to exactly <laughs> where that trap was set. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So walking up that Martin that was on a log, and you just kind of. Yeah, I saw it from a distance in my headlamp, and I turned right around. I didn't even walk up to it. I started <laughs> walking back the truck. I did go grab my camera and nice. I had to grab uh, another trap so I could reset it. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. added some more lore and I figured if I caught one here I better make sure it's set up good to go for the next one. one. Absolutely. Yeah. Sweet. So that that's exciting. So you got some good pictures of it. Yeah I got a couple of it in the box you know before I opened it up. This is the wire box you can see into it. So yeah. Yep. Good and deal. So you're gonna you're gonna expand the line. I'm I'm pulling out and you're putting in. Yeah, I'm gonna try to hopefully by the end of the weekend I'll have, you know, twenty or at least twenty boxes set up. And I think with my 
muskrat and mink sets and maybe put in a beaver and otter set or two mixed in that'll be enough to keep me busy because at least one of my checks is usually at night during the week yeah and i'm driving like oh 50 or 60 miles of up the highway and then hopping in my truck out of my car and heading into the woods so after work so it's kind of a I don't want to I can't put too many out just limited so yeah. but that'll be enough to keep me catching fur and staying busy yeah so tell us about you you mixed in a little bit of a water line along this uh, yeah. these 11 sets yeah so I'm putting some some 110s in for muskrat or mink just in you know blind sets close to the truck a lot some of them I can see right from the window of the truck only I see it that it just 110 so if they get stolen then I won't be out too much and I can check them quick so but I've, I've caught I guess I've caught seven muskrat and I have six six 110s out is all I have out right now nice. so so these were just places like that you crossed yeah like one of the spots is a it's an old beaver flowage the, the beavers are gone they've been gone for a number of years but the water still collects in that that area and it flows into a big mud puddle that's maybe all 25 20 yards to 25 yards long and it's right in the, in the road so the road will flood about in high water it'll be over a foot deep but I can still drive through it the water flows out of that um, old beaver beaver bog right into that road and um, kind of where the bank is along the the road from the tire tracks there's little channels like little runs coming into that so that water will flow right through there and from there it flows maybe 50 yards down to a, a medium size to larger size brook so that's where the muskrat are living but when the rain comes like it is right now definitely pushes them they they feel that water coming in they hear it and they go right up it they cross the mud puddle quick and they're hurrying to get out of the open and they, they go right into the traps. Go right through your 110. Yeah, and that was a pretty good spot last year. I caught a bunch, a few, quite a few mink. Uh, Martin there, I'm sorry, we uh, muskrat there and I caught a mink too. Yeah. Oh, that's where you got a mink? Yeah, I got a mink there too, so last yeah. year. Yeah, I just read an article uh, in the latest issue of Trapper's Post magazine. And Bob Noonan was writing about going to down East Maine and trapping with Bill Mikowski uh, and trapping for muskrats and beaver foliages. And yeah. he was talking about, you know, it's not like we have a lot of cattail marshes out here. No, very few. Like, I, there was a spot I found this year that I really wanted to do and set up for muskrat because I know there's, there's a lot there. I really think I'd get a lot of them in a few days, but I'm not going to make it. Just too far away and we around my trap line there's a few townships there that was a township 36 square miles yeah six yeah. by six miles yeah. yeah so 36 square miles and there's a few of those and honestly there's really no big areas of cattails anywhere in all of them you could not you know none at all so pretty much just not big numbers of muskrats are definitely in those brooks you just got to find a way to catch them yeah they're 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 there um and it's doesn't like like you said it doesn't look like classic rat habitat they're not a lot of them so you're not necessarily going to see a lot of sign but 
what he was doing was was going down below the dam. You know, you have all these channels coming out of where the water's spilling over the beaver dam, and it's kind of spread out into all these little channels. And he's looking for little trails in those channels. And usually he'll find there might be six, eight, ten different channels, and usually two or three of them will have sign of muskrats yeah. or animals traveling through. Yeah. And so he'll set one tens there for rats. Yep, I have some one tens with a big spike hooked into yeah, the opposite nice. side of the swivel point, so I can just stick that right in the bank and then uh, use a stake or a stick to hook my trap down and just kind of angle it so it holds the trap through the jaws. It's pretty quick to set. Seems to work good. And then some, if there's a bunch of uh, of runs coming in there, I'll block a couple of them off. Yeah. So kind of force them to keep going to the next one. Just went by a fresh beaver flowage, and there's one just down here we're gonna pass. Um, another observation that that I made in the past, and, and it just reminded me of this on Sunday, we had a layer of snow that kind of turned into slush on top of the water. It hadn't frozen over yet, and we still got some of it. You can see there on that, there's a brook here by the road. And where you have fresh beaver lodges and beaver houses and dams. If you get that little thin layer of slushy stuff on top of the water, you can see exactly where the runs are. It's pretty amazing because you can see exactly where they're traveling because the water, they're causing the water, even if they're traveling underneath that slush, the movement of the water, there's such a thin layer that it just opens right up. So Sunday when I drove by here, I could see that lodge and the feed pile and the dam, and I could see it's just a dark band about four, three, four feet wide from the lodge to the dam. And it was like, it was like magic. You know, it, it would be so easy to set that up. Yeah, the stream's running brown, Cole. Our brook trout probably aren't liking that too much. Oh, bunch I of know. runoff coming now off. Now you the see road. all, geez, all those, milk. all those. Uh, down trees there, I bet would be good to set for mink. Oh yeah. yeah Throw a 110 or 120 on those with a little clip and I bet it'd be possible. Some of them might be crossover logs. Yeah, this is just an ideal spot for that. You could make a few mink sets, you could do some rats in those abandoned beaver lodges, and then you could hammer the beavers in the active lodges. You can see almost all of it from the road and I've never seen another trapper. Um, a couple years going up here, never seen another trapper. So if I had the energy, <laughs> yeah. if I could uh, could walk more than 100 feet from the truck right now and get back alive, uh, I would probably have a bunch of 330s with me today and uh, we, we set up a few of these. This is just, it's one of those deals, just like your line, you're driving right by it. I'm driving by a bunch of, uh, quite a few beaver colonies um, and I don't have to really worry about it because there aren't very many people trapping right now around where I am, so yeah, chances are they're gonna be waiting for me in the winter. But Yeah, I was mentioning I've got two two colonies right by my house right now and, and I'm just hoping nobody traps them because I've been setting a few traps around for rats and stuff just to so if someone knows that there's somebody trapping there because it's so easy to get to, but I'm kinda of wanting to save them for under ice when things aren't so busy and I can. I like. I like to trap under ice just to experiment with different methods and things. 
So, yep, there's one of those channels right there. So, uh, I like I like the idea of being able to, to do that right by the house. But uh, we were talking earlier about fur prices, and, and you mentioned you you don't mind the low fur yeah, prices. That's fine, fine with me. For right now, I'm not catching large numbers anyways that I would be making a lot of money and I'm getting to getting to learn in a time when there's no one else out there setting up around me so and I don't have to feel like I'm encroaching on other trappers either so that's yeah, that's nice point. yeah it's just less stressful and, and there's some people that don't let them let it bother them there's an old timer that traps uh, out of our area in Seasonally, he comes up and just hammers the beaver. He'll catch a couple hundred beaver in spring, easy, in a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, when when they're really going, um, and he doesn't mind at all. Of course, he traps all over the state, but he says comp he didn't doesn't let competition bother him a bit. He'll have somebody else trapping on one side of the road. He'll go set the other side, or someone sets on him, and he's just yeah, whatever. I just work harder than that. Yeah. And I hear, I've saw things before where guys mink trapping these populated areas a lot of people trapping they just if someone sets a trap they just go up the brook or down the brook and set yeah, one on each side to them, yeah. just set it up in a way that yeah you're gonna catch the bank before it gets to their trap and we're we're lucky that we aren't yeah. don't have to do that and that's a good attitude to have i struggle with it because i'm always on edge when i get someone else trapping where i'm trapping i just i don't know i feel kind of two different things like i feel part of me feels a little bit selfish like like, I kind of want that area to myself. Why can't they find another place to trap? Um, but part of me feels bad, like, you know, I'm kind of encroaching on them too. So uh, I, yeah. I feel a little guilty about trapping where they're trapping as well. But you know, with these low fur prices, man, it's been, we've been very fortunate. And, and the few people that I've been uh, trapping around or, or nearby, the, the last, uh, past year have been really good people so good trappers um, haven't had any issues at all kind of do our own thing and and um, you know have a pretty good relationship so it's, it works out pretty good yeah and I mean that the fur price and that's part of the reason I'm not trapping like really hard for muskrat I know I could go get a bunch but there comes a point in time where I just need to way out is it worth going and getting 50 of them or is 10 or 15 good because they're not worth more than a couple dollars a piece so yeah exactly um, i've been trapping a few rats uh, i do have a cattail swamp near me which i'm very fortunate in i live near a river and there's a side sort of a side channel complex along the edge of the river that that's several hundred yards wide a few miles long it's uh, really, really nice to be able to go in there and see well-used muskrat areas and, and hammer them. Usually, the last few years, I'll get 30 rats a year just walking a short distance from the house. And I, it's, it's no problem to get 30 rats a year with seven or eight sets out. Yep. This year, the water's been so low. Since before we had this rain, this rain will bring it up. But it's been so low all summer that the rats, I think the habitat was, was very limiting for them. And because of that, I seem to be catching much lower numbers of rats. Probably, maybe, maybe more than half, but close close to half the rats I would catch yeah. in a normal year. 
but I'm just catching a few here and there. Uh, just kind of to keep keep the area, keep trapping the area, keep the numbers in check. Uh, it's I've got nothing into it. I've got a few minutes of my time every day, so you know they're real easy to skin and everything, and, and easy to set. I know exactly where to go, where they're traveling. So uh, it's kind of a no-brainer. But if I had to travel 10, 15 miles, that would not be. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're not not worth it. So they are easy to catch, but it's time. It does take time to skin them and get them stretched. So just gotta definitely not doing it for the money. When we're catching muskrat, we're definitely right now. I think we're definitely doing it for the. We want to catch fur and we want to put it put up fur. Yeah, what'd you say earlier about why we, we trap and other people hunt? Oh, we like the, we actually are successful trapping <laughs> to some extent. Every time I go out and do a check, I catch at least, you know, at least a muskrat. So, and that's part of the reason I have those muskrat sets on my, my loop is so I don't get too discouraged, you know, by the end of it. I have them set, a couple of them are towards the end of my loop. They're like the last traps that I check and I always know that there's going to be a muskrat or two waiting for me there so yeah and up here we have some of the lowest deer densities in the country we yeah multiple townships every year out here that never have a deer tagged out of them every year so, so. deer hunting is a very low uh, low success proposition um, actually we were talking earlier about uh, uh, some guys that trap from camp you know I went I went 40, 50 miles in the middle of nowhere to get away from all trappers and set up a line last year and I was right in the middle of their line where they had trapped in the past um, because there was a camp nearby that, that they stayed out of and trapped. And they were never trappers historically, but they took up trapping because the deer hunting got so slow that you know they'd go to camp every year to deer hunt and they'd, they'd never have any success, very little success for a lot of work. They started trapping and they started having a blast. You know, you could, it was low pressure. Uh, you, you most, most of it, they were doing from the truck. Uh, didn't have to worry about a bunch of, you know, scent control and track, tracking deer and uh, sitting in a tree stand for hours at a time and just go around and make sets and go check the traps. Just have a good time. So um, that's, you know, yeah, a big part of trapping is just, for me, is the enjoyment of going out and doing those checks. Yep. Hopefully getting out of the woods. Yeah. The truck doesn't fall apart on us. <laughs> that was quite a spot. Yeah. And I think those guys riding around, just they probably figured at that point that their uh, deer hunting success would be just as good from the truck. <laughs> a lot carry, of carry the rifle and you might get to see a deer. That's right. It's kind of like us. If we see a deer, we're going to shoot it. So. And the other thing, of course, is if you're going up to camp for the weekend, uh, there's no hunting on Sundays in Maine. Uh, yep. One of the few states where you still cannot hunt on Sundays, uh, believe it or not. So if you're going up for the weekend, you only have one day to hunt, yeah. Saturday. So they come up and they could maybe do some deer hunting on Saturday uh, and, uh, and focus on trapping, setting traps on Sunday. Yep. Yeah, and that's kind of the reason why I started to think about doing it is that have something to do on Sunday and at night too a lot of the time I work until well once the time change happens it's gonna be dark dark at four o'clock yeah it's gonna be dark half hour after I get out of work and 
hour before I'm, I get out. Yeah, of I'm lucky I get out at 3.30. It's um, <laughs> pretty nice, but still, by the time you drive and get out there in the woods, it's dark. Yeah, so you can't hunt. You can't hunt deer, so at least can set and check traps at night. It's harder to set them, but yep. can check them. Can be done. All right, so what else we got to talk about? Geez, I don't know. How about that old timer you're telling me about? Oh, we were talking about uh, Fred Goodwin from Silver Ridge. Silver Ridge Township in Northern Maine. Yeah, uh, southern part of Aroostook County. And uh, I remember he was around for a long time. He lived to be 103, I believe. <laughs> so you can just kind of think about what years he would have been in his prime. It was way back in the 30s and 40s and 50s. Um, and he did a lot of a lot of things throughout his life that were outdoor related. He shot, well, if I remember, I think it would probably be the uh, largest buck ever to be shot in Maine, but it isn't scorable due to the skull plate being separated. Um, he shot that in 1949, and I actually came across a picture on Facebook last night and sent it to Jeremiah, a picture of him with uh, 44 bobcats in one winter, so that was pretty neat. Yeah, I don't know what year is, it was, but... This guy's related to you, right? Well, probably not through blood, but through... Uh, I remember already uh, raised my great aunt, so... Okay, so the yeah. trapping gene might not be passed yeah, on to you. Maybe not, but... Blood, but. Yeah. But 44 bobcats in a winter, that, I mean, and yes, there were, there were bobcats around here back then. Like now you, you don't see a bobcat. Nobody traps a bobcat up here. We got way more lynx than we have bobcats. Uh, but, you know, that was in the days of V.E. Lynch, Bobcat Lynch, that was west of Ashland on the Machias River. He was, he was hunting and trapping for cats. There was a bounty on cats. The fur was very valuable. But even all that being said, 44 cats in a winter is unbelievable. Yeah, regard, there, regardless of how he got them. There were no was, road systems back then. Yeah. I mean, aside from the main road, how is he getting out? He was on foot. Yeah. Yeah. No snowmobiles. No, before snowmobiles. So he had to have, um, like I said, we, we, dog sled. we don't know. <laughs> I don't know if he got those, you know, in a combination of trapping with or and with hounds or all with hounds or all trapping. Um, but regardless, pretty impressive. Absolutely. And I mean that that area. I'm guessing that he was in probably was in the Silver Ridge area where he got those. And um, now you probably wouldn't find there's not many bobcat there. One or two maybe <laughs> in the whole area is just about none. You might find lynx there now, but. Habitat's changed a lot. Pretty amazing. So he was, he was quite an accomplished guy. It's funny seeing that picture from the 30s or 40s and he just like, like looks like us, you know? Yep. In his prime, young. And, uh, 44 bobcat hanging on posts behind him. That must have been something. Make a living doing that. Yeah, I'm sure back then that was worth, with inflation, that was worth a lot of money. Yep. And I'm sure he was trapping and making money off other things that he was doing in the outdoors. So he definitely was lucky to be able to spend that much time out in the woods. Absolutely. And 103, man. 
yep. all of us could be lucky enough to live to 103 and, and be physically active a good portion of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, the last week, I've been feeling like an old man, and I'm 34. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was still telling stories about deer hunting and stuff like that up until, you know, right until he passed, I think, so. Yeah. So it's a combination of good genetics and good luck and probably good uh, lifestyle choices. Uh, a lot of activity, getting out in the woods a lot and, and enjoying, enjoying what you do. So that's pretty cool. I love to hear stories about old timers like that. So, all right, cool. Well, again, thank you for coming along and driving me. I, yeah, uh, no problem. I was pretty concerned I would, you know, might might not be able to get out here and be able to get all my traps tended uh, during my legal obligation to do so and uh, I'm sad I'm done trapping for a little while out here but I'm, I'm relieved and I'm super excited to see that we picked up a couple Martin and uh, it means that you know there's the next we got a long trapping season so there's a lot to be done and and uh, hopefully I'll get back out there hopefully you'll continue to expand your line and have some more success. So. Yeah, hopefully it keeps going good. It's a good start. We're only only a few days into it, and the weather hasn't even been good. So, yep, it's uh, it's good. All right, guys. Well, wherever you are, um, thanks for listening in, and keep on talking, trapping, thinking, trapping, and get out on the trap line where and when you can. Uh, appreciate having you here. Appreciate Cots Brothers for supporting the podcast. And until next time, we will. See ya.